Welcome to the Boom Clap Podcast. Today, I am super excited about this episode. This is a topic that I kind of, I don't know, geek out on a little bit. (laughs) And (laughs) Cecily and I were talking before this podcast episode started. And let me tell you what it's about first. Let me tell you what it's about. So Bill C-223 in Canada. And Americans, if you're listening to this and thinking, oh, this is a bill happening in Canada, I can turn my ears off. Don't because this is majorly applicable to both Canadians, Americans, and basically everyone in a developed country right now. We're gonna be talking about universal basic income. Um, This bill introduced in Canada right now is proposing a universal basic income for everyone um, 17 and over. And we'll get into that bill specifically in just a little bit. But Cecily and I, right before we started, um, she mentioned, I think this is one of those episodes where we just need to really lay out there, you know, we're going to talk about what we think, but you need to decide what you think and be really clear that we're not trying to push our opinion. And I started Mm -hmm. laughing and just said, (laughs) that's funny because I was thinking I feel totally opposite. I feel (laughs) like normally I'm like, you know, don't take my word for it. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, you you guys may have a different opinion. That's okay, but I feel like this is something that I am super passionate about being not a good thing, and I just mm-hmm. want everybody to know it is not a good thing. Um, mm-hmm. But that said, I don't want you to just listen to me and think it's not a good thing. I want you to know why it's not mm-hmm. a good thing. Um, so, Cecily, do you want to tag in there? <laughs> No, as as you were talking, it cracks me up, but I was just, you know how I, I don't know if love is the right word for it, but how I enjoy Russell Brand, right? And at the end of all his videos, he always, he always says, um, but that's just what I think. What do you think? <laughs> and, and I think that that's really, while I agree with Rita that this is a terrible idea, this universal basic income, I mean, that is just what I think. What do you think? But we hope that throughout this episode, we can kind of break it down and make it clear why we don't think it's a good idea, um, but also just break down what it is. And I think it'll be a, yeah. become apparent why it's not a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Back to Russell Brand. I <laughs> okay. really think, minus his accent, he would be far less interesting to listen to. That could be. That could be. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do enjoy listening to him. I feel we, Cecily and I talk debate a little about Russell mm. Brand occasionally because mm-hmm. while I enjoy him, I always feel like he's one of those people that is like on the tip of the iceberg of getting it right. And then he'll say something. I'm like, ah, yes. like, oh, I what, agree. What are you yeah. thinking? Like, you mm-hmm. totally were almost there. And then you just dove off the cliff. So. Yeah. I would agree with that, but I think that's part of what makes him interesting is that he doesn't really fit into a box. Like you can't peg him. And I appreciate that. He's Yeah, Yeah. I appreciate that. You cannot just peg him. Anyway, that is not what this episode's about. No, not at all. But But it's fun to talk about. And maybe you guys like talking about it too. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Rita. All right. Do you want to read through the bill or you want me to? Yeah, like are we gonna read through the whole thing minus like well, the Yeah, I was just gonna long. read the summary and then the preamble. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah. All right. So the summary of the bill. 
This enactment requires the Minister of Finance to develop a national framework to provide all persons over the age of 17 in Canada with access to a guaranteed livable basic income. It also provides for reporting requirements with respect to the framework. And then the preamble. Whereas every person should have access to a livable basic income, whereas the provision of a guaranteed livable basic income would go a long way towards eradicating poverty and improving income equality, health conditions, and educational outcomes, whereas the provision of a guaranteed livable basic income would benefit individuals, families, communities, and protect those who are made most vulnerable in society while facilitating the transition to an economy that responds to the climate crisis and other current major challenges, and whereas a guaranteed livable basic income program implemented through a national framework would ensure the respect, Mm -hmm. dignity, and security of all persons in Canada. So that's the basic gist of it. It goes through, uh, I mean, you can talk about more of it if you want to, Cecily. It goes through the development uh, of the bill the consultation, um, and then... The content might be interesting. Yeah, okay. Do you want to talk through that or read it all or just... It's short. Let me just get through that. So the content. The framework must include measures, A, to determine what constitutes a livable basic income for each region in Canada, taking into account the goods and services that are necessary to ensure that individuals can lead a dignified and healthy life, as well as the cost of those goods and services in accessible markets. B, to create national standards for health and social supports that complement a guaranteed basic income program and guide the implementation of such a program in every province. C, this is interesting, to ensure that participation in education, training, or the labor market is not required in order to qualify for a guaranteed livable basic income. And D, to ensure that the implementation of a guaranteed livable livable basic income program does not result in a decrease in services or benefits meant to meet an individual's exceptional needs related to health or disability. So that's the content of it. So I think this this bill, the way it's written, is a really good example of using words to make things sound good. And if you don't read it critically, it's like, oh, yeah, that all just sounds good. Like, yes, people should have a right to dignity and respect. And but the question is, is that is money what gives someone the right to dignity and respect? You know, like it's it's just really interesting to me, the language that's used this really positive language with no proof or data to actually back it up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. Just a side note to all of mm-hmm. this. I have never seen a federal bill in America that th- is this short. Like most it is of the extremely bills, short. Most of the bills introduced in America right now are literally hundreds of pages. And mm-hmm. I guarantee the people legislating aren't even reading them because they're so long and there's right. so much pork as they call it packed in to get all this stuff passed through at once yes um but only in america would you call it pork yeah (laughs) (laughs) Um, okay so a few key phrases i want to Mm -hmm. point out so within the preamble it says while facilitating the transition facilitating the transition to an economy that responds to the climate crisis and other current major Mm -hmm. challenges so I underline transition to an economy 
That is snuck in there. That is a phrase snuck in there that really has nothing to do with the bill itself. But what are they saying? World Mm -hmm. Economic Forum, Great Reset. That is what they're saying without saying it right there. Um, And then climate crisis. They sneak in climate crisis, which has nothing to do with it. Um, Mm -hmm. But as I'm reading this and read Eradicating Poverty, Improving Income Equality, Wages, Mm -hmm. um, you know, Mm -hmm. a a universal basic income, a wage. So what is a wage? The definition of a wage is a payment, usually of money for labor or services, usually according to to contract and on an hourly, daily, or piecework basis. So Mm -hmm. if you're giving somebody a basic income, a wage, Mm -hmm. right, to help improve inequality, um, livable. The word livable is in there. So you, it's insinuating a way for them to live. Why aren't they just giving people a house, a car, and food? Right. Why aren't they doing that? Because we are used to receiving a wage. We are used to receiving money in exchange for something we do, a service, Mm -hmm. an hourly wage, you know? And so this is a foot in the door approach, you know, instead of just giving us a car, you know, giving Mm -hmm. us a house, giving us our food, which is where we're on the way to, you know, Mm -hmm. if you want to go to the episode we did about, you know, you'll own nothing and like it or whatever. Um, This is a frog pot, you know, like putting the frog in the pot of lukewarm water and starting the boil. You know, they don't just move directly to giving us a house. They start off with something we're used to, but coming from them. Well, and another way that's perhaps more cynical, which is a little unusual for us. I'd say usually you come up with the more cynical stuff, but one <laughs> yes. way of looking at it that's like a little bit more cynical is like perhaps the wage is our dependency. Like perhaps we're receiving a wage for our dependency and that dependency is looked at as a commodity. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way of looking at it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing that I had highlighted above that um, was the words would benefit. So it says here, whereas the provision of a guaranteed livable basic income would benefit individuals, families, and communities and protect those who are made most vulnerable in society. How do they know it would benefit? Like, how do they know it actually wouldn't harm? Like, getting back to the dependency thing. And then, so I find it so interesting that this is all in that same paragraph. It's actually in the same sentence as the transition to an economy and the response to a climate crisis. Like, like mm-hmm. that's not even good English because a paragraph is supposed to be cohesive thought. And this is not even a cohesive thought. It's actually like two or three different things going on in that paragraph. And that's what I mean. Like, this is why words are so important. And Oftentimes, people just throw good sounding words together in hopes that we won't notice what's actually being said. And I think this is an example of that. Yeah, it's not cohesive to you or I, but Mm -hmm. I think it is cohesive to those who operate under the mindset of those Mm -hmm. in high places in the World Economic Forum and all of that. Yes, I think that they do lump these things together very much so um, in their mind. Yeah. So- Also, as I was preparing, Cecily, I looked up the, I just searched top causes of, top causes of poverty Mm -hmm. and I found something kind of interesting. So Mm. 
one of the websites I was on, well, actually, so when I searched this, they're like, you know, top 20 websites pop up or whatever. And all of them are very similar except one. And so mm-hmm. I'm just going to read from one of them that was in the similar camp. So okay. their top causes were changes in the labor market, education, housing, substance abuse issues, medical expenses. Um, there were uh, a lot of them that said climate issues. So mm-hmm. all of these things that they said were the causes of poverty. And then, yeah. And then there there was a website. It's Center for Faith and Culture. What causes poverty? The causes they came up with were personal sin, Mm -hmm. nature or natural evil Mm -hmm. and oppression. And so let me Mm -hmm. tell you a little bit of what they said, you know, define those things as. So um, Mm -hmm. personal sin, the first category category that causes poverty is personal sin. Scripture often mentions moral failures that lead to poverty. For example, the Bible warns about poverty as a result of laziness or idleness. Um, Mm -hmm. And then they go on to talk more. But just to give you an idea of what they're talking about, natural evil. The second category, simply defined, consists of things such as natural disasters, earthquakes, tornadoes, tsunamis, floods, droughts, Mm -hmm. acts of God. Oppression, a third category of poverty is oppression. Unlike natural evil, this type of poverty can be prevented. Um, Mm. Thus, scripture frequently warns against oppressing others. So Mm. I found that really an interesting contrast. Most of the websites are like from government uh, or Mm -hmm. leader think tank organizations. And then this Christian website came up with these other causes. And I likened it to the symptoms and then yes. the root cause. Like exactly. it's like all these websites are highlighting the symptoms of poverty. Yeah. You know, we can slap a That's band-aid really cool. on that, but do you really want to get to the root cause of what yeah. causes poverty? And I found that to be very, very interesting. And when you go to this bill, this is the government trying to step mm-hmm. in and fix the symptoms without getting to the root cause, which is that ultimately going to fix the problem? It never does. Like even Mm -hmm. with our own personal health, like it never does. Fixing the symptoms without addressing the root cause is never an effective solution. In fact, often it compounds the symptoms or causes other symptoms to begin because now there's another problem, you know? And that's exactly when I look at this universal basic income thing. It's like this attempt, if we're looking at it from an optimistic perspective, it's this attempt to fix these symptoms that we see of problems in the world, but we're not addressing the root cause. So before we know it, we've sprung another leak somewhere else in our body, you know, like it's just a bad idea. And I'm really glad you found that website from that Christian perspective, because when I read those words here, like in the bill where it says this would ensure the respect, dignity, and security of all persons in Canada, I mean, alarm bells just go off in my head. It's like from a biblical worldview, how could that possibly ensure that? How could this universal basic income ensure that? Like I have written down here, highlighted, and then in question marks, will this change human nature? Does money give us dignity? Does money give us respect from other people around us? Or will sin still be an issue? It absolutely will. Like, I guess that's why I balk at this bill so much is because there's this such positive, confident language that this is going to fix all the problems. And it's like, no, unfortunately, it's not. And how dare we try to convince people otherwise? Yeah, exactly. 
exactly. And it's, it's just that constant attempt at a utopia that is impossible. Yeah. We always come back to this, like in so many of our episodes. Yeah. And it, and it seems sometimes that we're on the same page trying to create our own mm-hmm. utopia by way of freedom. But right. no, it's just that freedom and liberty are the least oppressive state. And yes. I, I do think that I, – I do want to add this. Like if you're listening and thinking – at the beginning here, we're just against helping people. No, you know, we're not against helping the poor and giving people a leg up, but at what point is that? And there absolutely is inequality, like there is. Yes, but at what point does that become oppressive itself, one? Mm -hmm. And two, whose role is it to help the poor? Is that the government? Yeah. Or is it the church and is it individuals, you know? so, yeah, no, that's that's exactly it. And I think like I was watching a video in preparation for this, just kind of searching out some interesting thoughts on it. And of course, I found something by Jordan Peterson that I found really, really good. And so he says here, this is a quote from him. We don't need money. We need function. I think actually his quote was, men don't need money. Men need function. And of course, he's mm-hmm. talking about all of mm-hmm. all humans, right? And that's that's so it. We need function. We need meaningful work. We need to understand that we have a purpose in life. And so in the bill where it says that in order to receive this money, Canada wants to ensure that participation in education, training, or the labor market is not required like, I feel like that goes against the very, like, what humans want. We all want to do good and meaningful work. And sometimes we think we don't want to, but it's usually because we're either depressed or because we've been doing so little for so long that we kind of lose that instinct. But when that happens, that doesn't usually mean that we're in a good place. It means that we're in a really bad place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, similar, Cecily, there was an article I found um, about UBI, and mm-hmm. there's a paragraph that talks about productive work. So I'm going to read that really quick. It says, UBI proponents, however, seem unconcerned with the value of productive work. Mm-hmm. One of the supposed benefits of UBI, as Matt Zwolinski says, in a moral case for universal basic income, is that it would meet everyone's basic needs, regardless mm-hmm. of whether they're working or, for that matter, even trying to work. But as even Obama acknowledges, it's not just money that a job provides. It provides Mm -hmm. dignity and structure and a sense of place and a sense of purpose. Obama, despite supporting UBI in the same speech, correctly Mm -hmm. identifies that earning one's living gives one a sense of dignity. It also provides a rational basis for self-esteem. Yeah. You know what I found really interesting about that is the basic needs portion. It was saying that this universal basic income would provide for all of a person's basic needs. But is that true? And it comes down to like, what do you consider basic needs to be? Like food, water, shelter? Mm -hmm. Or is there more to the basic needs of a human than that? And here's where we could get into those nature versus nurture things. And I think it shouldn't be nature versus nurture. It should be a little bit of both, right? Mm -hmm. So to consider that money can provide all of our basic needs is simply not true. Yeah. 
<laughs> no, it can't. Well, I mean, yeah, basic needs to survive. Survival To needs. survive physically, yes. Yes. But when you consider the depth of a person, no, it's mm-hmm. it's not going to meet that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. there. I just feel like there's so many places I want to go right now, and I don't want to jerk us back and forth. So I'm not really <laughs> sure where to go from Just pick, here. pick a uh, direction. We'll follow okay. along. Don't worry. All right. Um, <laughs> Okay, so I don't want to forget about this. So I'm going to read from this book. It might be a little lengthy, but um, okay. stick with me. Okay, okay. the 5,000 5, year leap, Principles of Freedom 101, a miracle that changed the world. So this is kind of on the founding of America, and I highly recommend this book, even to Canadians. It's very mm-hmm. good just going through the principles of freedom, essentially. So, all right, so the seventh principle The proper role of government is to protect equal rights, not to provide equal things. Mm. In Europe, during the days of the founders, it was very popular to proclaim that the role of government was to take from the haves and give to the Mm have-nots so that all might be truly equal. However, the American founders perceived that this proposition contained a huge fallacy. What powers can be assigned to government? The founders recognize that the people cannot delegate their government the power to do anything except that which they have the lawful right to do themselves. For example, every person is entitled to protection of his life and property. Therefore, it's perfectly legitimate to delegate the government a task of setting up a police force to protect the lives and property of all the people. But suppose a kind-hearted man saw that one of his neighbors had two cars while the other neighbor had none. Mm -hmm. What would happen if in spirit of benevolence, the kind man went over and Mm -hmm. took one of the cars from his prosperous neighbor and generously gave it to the neighbor in need? Obviously, he would be arrested for car theft. No matter how Mm -hmm. kind his intentions, he is guilty of flagrantly violating the natural rights of his prosperous neighbor who is entitled to be protected in his property. Of course, the two-car neighbor could donate his car to the poor neighbor if he liked, but that's his decision and not the prerogative of his kind-hearted neighbor who wants to play Robin Hood. Oh my gosh. You were ending it with Robin Hood? The whole time I was thinking, this is Robin Hood. Yeah. (laughs) And then what do you know? Yeah. So that part is, you might think, well, I mean, that person has so much. And so shouldn't, this is kind of like tax the rich more. Well, who's considered rich, right? Okay, so that's like if your neighbor is taking something and giving it. So how governments sometimes commit legal crimes. But suppose the kind-hearted man decided to ask the mayor and the city council to force the man with two cars to give one to his pedestrian neighbor. Does that make it any more legitimate? Obviously, this makes it even worse because the mayor and city council do it in the name of the law. The man who has lost his car not only has lost the rights to his property, but since it's the law, he's lost all right to appeal for help in protecting his property. Mm -hmm. The American founders recognized that the moment the government is authorized to start leveling the material possessions of the rich in order to have an equal distribution of goods, the government thereafter has the power to deprive any of the people their equal rights to enjoy Mm -hmm. their lives, liberty, and property. A popular fallacy. So this just keeps going a little bit and takes it a next step further and really puts it in perspective. So a popular fallacy. 
Those on the receiving end of this program may think this is very just to take from the haves and give to the have-nots. They may say, this is the way the government provides equal justice for all. We're hearing that a lot right now, right? Mm -hmm. But what happens when the government comes around and starts taking from those who count themselves poor? They immediately declare with indignation that they have the rights in the property the government gave them. The government replies, we decide who has rights and things. The power given to the government to take from the rich automatically canceled out the principle of guaranteed equal rights. It opened the floodgate for government to meddle with everybody's rights, particularly property rights. Okay, and finally, a lesson from communism. When the communists seized power in Hungary, the peasants were delighted with the justice of having large farms confiscated mm. from their owners and given to the peasants. Later, the communist leader seized three-fourths of the peasant land and took mm. it back to set up government communal farms. Immediately, the peasants howled in protest that their property about their property rights. Mm. Those who protested too loudly or too long soon found that they not only lost their land, but also their liberty. If they continued to protest, they lost their lives. So do we see the slippery slope? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do. <laughs> oh, man. That's that's a really I, – I know you've been talking about that book for a long time. I have yet to get it, but it sounds really, really good. It is so good. It is so good. Yeah. And those are such great examples. And I think it comes down to a lot of the time, like, yeah, we, you know, we watched the Robin Hood movie and we can, we, we kind of like start rooting for that. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And we can see why we want like a little bit more equality amongst people. But when it, when you put those sorts of examples out there, you can see the wrong in, in the way that that's executed. Right. It is theft in a sense. And also, what does redistribution mean if it's forced redistribution? Like, if we're redistributing, like, say I'm wealthy, 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 and I choose to redistribute my wealth amongst those who are, you know, in, in deeper poverty than I am because my heart wants to. I am making the decision. I have been transformed into the kind of person that wants to share with these other people that I love dearly because they're also made in the image of God. Like, that means something. But mm -hmm. when there's this overarching government control that forces you, for, that forces these redistribution, that's not really transformed hearts at all. That's just force. And that's the unfortunate thing about it. It's like, here we are pursuing this justice, but is it really justice if it's not done from a heart of justice? And yeah. some people might argue that it is, but I just... I think the intentions of the heart is what makes it truth or not. Yeah, on both ends, really. You know, mm -hmm. the the giver and the recipient. Yeah. Because, you know, really these programs do not they, – they create a sense of entitlement, not appreciation mm -hmm. on the yeah. end of the recipient. They create division mm -hmm. because you're taking and giving – in deciding who the haves and have nots are. And you mm -hmm. don't really know anyone's situation. You know, mm -hmm. you might have somebody earning a very hefty income or, or mm -hmm. what we would consider hefty, right? You know, some people think to some people, but yeah, let's just talk about this really quick. To some people, a rich person makes $100,000 a year. Mm -hmm. 
To some people, a rich person is $250,000 a year. To some people, Mm -hmm. a rich person is a million dollars a year. We all have different ideas about what rich actually is based on our own situation, correct? And so who decides what that actually is? And you might might be the person that considers a rich person at $250,000 a year. But do, does the government who is far removed from that person really know that person's situation? Maybe they are working so hard to make that money every year because they have a serious illness and need to provide a medication for themselves that costs them thousands yeah. of dollars every month. And they live in a, you know, in a small way. They don't have a big house. Mm-hmm. They don't have all these things. And it doesn't matter if they do. I'm not Mm -hmm. saying this matters. I'm just saying the government doesn't know every individual situation. And they might be taking from somebody who actually needs that financial help themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To meet their basic needs. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Now, I don't know if this is going to be too massive of a shift, but are you okay with me jumping over to that World Economic Forum article a minute? Okay, before we jump into the World Economic Forum paper, I just want to say a couple more things from this book regarding mm-hmm. helping the poor because it is important and yeah. it's something that's been front of mind for me for a while just you know, getting the responsibility back on the individual and the church mm-hmm. and community mm-hmm. uh, groups rather than because everything's yeah. better when it's closer to home, right? You know the mm-hmm. real needs of people, you can meet them more readily than, you know, funneling your money to this large overarching system and then having them give it back. Um, Yeah. So one of the things that Benjamin Franklin said, you know, just helping the poor in a way that does not encourage idleness. And we talked about that a little bit already, but um, some of the points laid out are helping them to help themselves, like not helping them so completely where it becomes Mm -hmm. a dependence. Um, Giving the needy, the satisfaction of earned achievement, which we talked about earlier. That's, you know, something people need. Mm -hmm. Allowing a ladder for them to climb um, where there's an emergency, providing help, but not prolonging it to the point of where it becomes habitual. And then the last one was um, enforce a scale of fixed responsibility. I'm just going to read this one. The first and foremost level of responsibility with the individual himself. The second level is the family, then the church, Mm -hmm. next the community, finally the county, and in a disaster or emergency, the state. Under Mm -hmm. no circumstances is the federal government to become involved in public welfare. The founders felt it would be corrupt or it would corrupt the government and also the poor. No Mm -hmm. constitutional authority exists for the federal government to participate in charity or welfare. So interesting because that's what we see happening is that it's actually going the other way where that seems in a sense to be the main function of the government, which is crazy. All the time. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I know that was a lot, but I mean, that's what this episode's about. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Okay. All right. To your World Economic Forum sheet. This is is something. Okay. So (laughs) I'm going to read just the, the beginning portion and then we can talk about it a little bit. So here... I think it's also worth noting this article was published on the World Economic Forum April yeah. 7, 2020. <laughs> That's the biggest thing I wanted to highlight. <laughs> Explanation I, wrote it, I wrote it in a highlighter at the top of my article. Like, oh my goodness, April 17, 2020. That's almost two years ago. 
right near the beginning of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And the stuff they're talking about in this is is as if they knew that this was going to drag on for two years and yes. cause economic crises. Yes, How they I have that exclamation is absolutely points stunning. like, oh, this wasn't planned out at all. <laughs> I know, I know. When you read through the article, I read through the article before I checked the date and I checked the date after I read it and I was like, oh, okay, I wish I could say I was surprised, but I'm not. Yeah. Anyway, here's how it starts. Rule number one of crisis management. When you find yourself in a hole, first stop digging. Congratulations, World Economic Forum. I do agree on that, but then we fall off the rails pretty soon. In the COVID-19 outbreak frenzy, several countries are, remember April 2020, several countries are considering massive fiscal stimulus packages and printing money, I think we're feeling the effects of that right now, to blunt the concurrent crises underway, the pandemic and the unraveling economic depression. April 2020, I just feel like we need to keep repeating that. Mm -hmm. And here the next paragraph says, these plans are essential, but they need to be strategic and sustainable. Agree. Because in addressing the current crises, we must avoid sowing seeds of new ones. This is exactly what we said at the beginning of the podcast, as the stakes are incredibly high. So again, I agree with that point. That's very rational. However, we disagree following that. So here they say, it is time to add a new element to the policy packages that governments are introducing, one we know but have abandoned. Universal Basic Income, UBI. It is needed as part of the package that will help us to get out of this yawning pit. Again, April 2020, right? Just started. The naysayers, and there are plenty, that's important to know, will point out that it won't work because no country can afford to regularly dole out money to every citizen. They will argue that we will run unsustainable deficits, which cannot be financed. This is a valid concern, but the alternative not strongly addressing COVID-19 repercussions will result, this is what I want to talk about, will result in a greater surge in inequality, increasing social tensions that would cost governments even more, and open countries to heightened risk of societal conflict. I find that very interesting. So they're saying that COVID-19 is going to increase inequality, therefore increasing societal conflict. And certainly COVID-19 did, did highlight inequality in a lot of ways, but even people that the World Economic Forum would have considered to be privileged, like business owners, were, were extremely negatively affected by COVID-19. So we can't just say that it highlighted existing inequality. It, it actually opened up greater inequality in, in different ways. I would say also that we are experiencing an increase in societal conflict, but I don't know that it's because of the increased inequality. I think there's a lot of other reasons for it. And what I found interesting in both the actual bill and in this article from the World Economic Forum is that they say that if everyone had a universal basic income, we would have essentially more peace on earth because there'd be less animosity between classes, essentially. And I actually think it would be different. I actually think that if the government stepped in and kind of tried to, to work this redistribution, I actually think that that would increase animosity. I think it would increase conflict. I think it would increase resentment between people. I just, yeah. I just really believe that. Well, 
you're right because it's already happening. We already totally. have increased We're animosity and increased division because we already have redistribution. Both of yeah. our countries already absolutely have redistribution. It's just not in the way of UBI yet, but it's yeah. already happened. It's already been happening. And mm-hmm. I do want to highlight when they they talk about COVID-19 repercussions, there mm-hmm. were no repercussions that they're talking about specifically due to COVID-19. It was due mm-hmm. to their handling of COVID-19. These Absolutely. economic things that happen happened because of the shutdown and happen because yeah. of their handling. And so mm-hmm. by you know, blaming it on this virus itself, it's the handling yeah. of the virus that caused this. And this was yeah. by design, obviously, by, dated by the article. You as, know? as evidenced by um, this article. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I just, I mean, there's more I want to highlight here, but I do want to point out that it says a couple of paragraphs down, countries like the United States and Canada are already making Mm -hmm. such plans for Mm -hmm. UBI. And so if you guys think this isn't coming here, it is. And back in May of last year, I had shared a post and I'm just going to read through this really quick because it it gained a lot of attention in the comments and people, some people were kind of upset with me that had agreed with me on all this COVID stuff this whole time. And then I started talking about the stimulus checks and people kind of were like, wait a minute, I need my stimulus check. Um, It's a little too close to home. Yeah. Yeah. So I had posted those stimulus checks are fake. Think about it. And then it was like a swipe through post. And then I uh, shared a thing about universal basic income. I said, here's the great news. Mm -hmm. We're implementing universal basic income and you don't even realize it because (laughs) we were from, it was either June or July to December of last year. Instead of giving, so normally you get a credit on your taxes of $2,000 per, I think it's per child. So you get a child tax credit. Well, they increased it to $3,000. And instead of just giving a credit on your taxes, you were given a check in the mail every month of $250 mm-hmm. per child. Right. And so some people were getting, a, you know, if you had four kids, you're getting $1,000 a month in the mail. Well, what mm-hmm. are they doing? Getting you used to getting a monthly check from the government. And so then I share another thing I shared on this post was um, a text from my sister when we were talking about it. it says like when I was a kid and I thought mom could just write a check for cash. Apparently the government can, you know, like <laughs> if you don't have money, just write a check. And okay. then it appears. <laughs> yeah. And if you guys are too young to remember writing checks all the time, I mean, when we were kids, it was just you didn't have debit cards. You didn't have, you know, credit cards all the time. It was people writing checks. Um, And as a child, you look at it as you can just sign your name to a piece of paper and that's money. Um, (laughs) Now our our kids think, oh, plastic, plastic cards, that's money. Yeah, exactly. You can just swipe that. Um, (laughs) But the last square on this post was a Thomas Sowell quote, inflation is a quiet but effective way for the government to transfer resources from the people to itself without raising Mm -hmm. taxes. And I didn't Mm -hmm. say a lot in the caption, but what I wanted people to do was put all those things together and understand Mm -hmm. that the stimulus checks are fake and a way to get us used to the idea of a universal basic income coming from the government. Mm -hmm. And the 
the checks and this income that we think we're getting is fake because they're inflating you know, this inflation is devaluing the crap out of our dollar. And so you're not even getting any money. Like if you're getting $250 and we have the level inflation we're at right now, you didn't get anything. It was a wash. The money is not worth as much. And so people didn't put that all together and got a little upset at me. But my point is the government is not a producer. The government, when it says in this, World Economic Forum page, no country can afford, you know, the naysayers. The naysayers Mm -hmm. think that no country can afford to regularly dole out money to every citizen. Well, because they can't, because the country does not have money without its citizens. They can tax, they can raise taxes to increase the money that the government gets to redistribute. Mm -hmm. They can print money, which causes inflation and devalues your dollar, or they Mm -hmm. can borrow money. But Mm-hmm. They do not produce. They do not have money without the citizens. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what people need to understand. And also, this is a little bit of a shift again, but I'm flipping over to that page. So they had done this chart and it says, do Europeans want basic income? And mm-hmm. a staggering 68% said yes, they would vote for it against is 24% and then and then there's whatever the leftover portion is they wouldn't vote. Um so and then underneath that it talks about how you know it had talked about on the previous page Warren Buffett Bill Gates they think the rich should be taxed higher. Good for them. That's great. Um <laughs> So the next paragraph says multinationals, too, are not paying their fair share. Apple, Amazon, Google, Walmart, to name just a few, generate mind-boggling profits and pay limited amount in taxes. After, this is the interesting part, after taking advantage of all the wrinkles in the tax systems, if the top 1,000 corporations in the world were fairly taxed, it would allow for a modest UBI, universal basic income, to be tightly and reasonably dispensed in countries across the world. Some, this, okay, guys, pay attention to this. Something is simply wrong and broken when governments are deprived of funds they should justifiably have to construct a better state. Okay, so the first thing is when it talks about all the wrinkles in the tax systems that has these huge companies not actually paying fair share of taxes, you guys need to check out our episode. I think it was Elites and Innocence where we kind of talked through some of that. But then I this was paragraph, trying to remember which episode I think it that's was. It. I think that's it. Um, but then, yeah, something is simply wrong and broken when governments are deprived of funds they should justifiably have to construct a better state. So hmm, let's just think about that. It's the government's flawed tax policy that quote, deprives them of the funds. So technically, they're not, again, quote, justifiably supposed to go to the government, those funds. Like, it's so interesting the way they worded this, like, in such a heartbreaking way. It's simply wrong and broken. When governments are deprived of the funds, like, talk about emotional language, that they should justifiably have to construct a better state. Who says they should justifiably have it? It's their own tax systems that have created these loopholes that are destroying these Oh, it's just crazy. Yeah. And let's not act like that's so innocent either. That's there by design because if they did not have that, they wouldn't be able to play this identity politics blame game that they do to pit each pit people against each other. Right. And it's that dramatic language that that's a big clue that they know what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And we were talking about this earlier. So this could get complicated, but you have to 
drive this all back to, you know, when you talk about fair share, you know, the government mm-hmm. getting their fair share so that, mm-hmm. um, or people paying their fair share so that the government can have it to execute whatever it needs to do. Um, yeah. We have to have a well laid out understanding of what the role of the government is. And you may think that the government has a different role or should have a different role than I think. That's okay. But Mm -hmm. constitutionally in America or in Canada, you know, what was the government set up to do? And when they start overstepping that, that, that takes into account a lot of personal opinion and subjectivity based on who is in charge deciding what is right and not right it goes beyond natural rights at that point you know and natural law and that's the um that's the hard part but Mm -hmm. while i believe that we should pay taxes to the government Mm -hmm. to some level Mm -hmm. to for the government to be able to execute you know its duties to protect our rights it's starting to, or not starting to, <laughs> that's funny, um, has <laughs> extended well beyond that for a very, very long time. And mm-hmm. this is what I was talking to Cecily about earlier. I had heard years ago someone say this, and I can't even remember who it was, but um, they explained taxation as, you know, the government saying that they are entitled to a portion of your life. And laid mm-hmm. it out as you work, you give up your time in exchange for dollars. And, you know, by giving up that time, you have given up a portion of your life to earn that money. And the government is now saying we are entitled to 30% of your life or whatever, you know, your tax rate is. Mm-hmm. And when you put it that way, that changes things a little bit. But the government has done such a good job of separating us from our hard-earned dollars by way of, you know, people who aren't self-employed get a paycheck and they Mm -hmm. never see that money as theirs. It never hits their Mm -hmm. bank account. So they've Mm -hmm. separated you from your hard-earned dollars before you ever, you know, earn your check. And that's by design also because you never see it as yours. And I know this is sounding very selfish right now, and that's not how I'm intending it, but are they really making the best use of our money? Well, that's just it. And that's why some of the, like an example of are they making the best use of our money? So something that really has been bothering me throughout these past couple of years is that my tax dollars are supplementing what I very much view as corrupt media in Canada. Mm -hmm. And I do not feel good about the fact that I am paying to essentially increase division in my own country and amongst my own people. That's my dollars doing that. And this is why like people can say Christians should just be quiet when it comes to politics. And I do agree we need to act with wisdom. But we do need to be involved because we contribute via our dollars We are putting the stamp of approval on the things our government is doing. So we need to have a voice. If we're in a taxation system, we need to have a voice so that we can hopefully feel okay about the way the government is using our dollars and essentially our time, the time that we put in to earn those dollars to make sure that that's being put to good use. Yeah. Well, I mean, think about in the United States, you know, tax money goes to Planned Parenthood. And yeah, that's something I personally don't 
I, I don't agree with. That's a topic for mm-hmm. another day. But, you know, mm-hmm. our money funds things that I don't agree with. Um, yeah. Just yesterday, there was an article that came out uh, talking about, I think, uh, Blaze put in a FOIA request and it came out that Congress appropriated $1 billion in fiscal year 2021 for the Secretary of Health to spend on activities to, quote, strengthen vaccine confidence in the United mm. States. And billion? they did this. One billion with a B. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's a lot of money. And mm-hmm. <laughs> so we paid that money in and a billion of our dollars went mm-hmm. to funding vaccine confidence. And this wasn't just like confidence. You know, they paid hundreds of media companies to advertise the COVID-19 vaccines while those same outlets provided positive coverage of the vaccine. So this was during news (laughs) programs while the news is talking positively about them. So it's not Mm -hmm. only our money going towards this, it's creating a spin that's not necessarily true. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that's just another example of it's not only necessarily that we don't agree with how our money is spent, it's mm-hmm. unwise use. It's frivolous spending totally. as if, as if you know, it's a bottomless pit and it's not. No. And in that World Economic Forum, it says, you know, that people argue that and they worry that governments will run unsustainable deficits. What's this Hello. will business? We already do. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Um. I want to jump to, I think it's is it the last page, second last page, near the bottom or kind of the mid-bottom. It says moving, oh, okay, here. So moving to such a system would need to ensure that incentives to have a job remain intact, which is exactly what the Canadian bill said it shouldn't do, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. And then it goes on to say that is relatively simple to do. A UBI should be sufficient to sustain a person at a modest minimum, leaving sufficient incentives to work, save, and invest. Well, first of all, for a lot of people, a modest minimum is all they need. And if they are maybe more on the lazy side or tend towards idleness, let's be real. They're going to be just fine with their modest minimum. There's not an incentive. For some people, there absolutely will be. Like for some people, you give them a little bit to give them a leg up. And then before you know it, they shoot right off and they take off and they do amazing things. But let's not pretend that's everybody. Like not even close, right? And then this Mm -hmm. next paragraph says, finally, good arguments can be made for having very selective conditions. That is to receive UBI. For instance, some that relate to public goods, like vaccinating all children and ensuring they attend school. Such selective conditions would not undermine the main purpose of eliminating poverty and would allow low-income people to take calculated risks to try and lift themselves out of poverty. So, ESG. Yeah. Like, they don't say the words there, but Mm -hmm. that is ESG. That's like a social credit situation. Like, if you do these good things, we will give you this money. If you don't do these good things, well, you're bad and you won't get the money. Mm-hmm. And whether or not we agree with the universal basic income, I think we can agree with the premise that who's to say that these are the people that should be setting a moral example or saying that this is the moral choice and you'll be rewarded for that. And this is the immoral choice and you will you will not be rewarded for that. Yeah. Like I just... That is so not good because they don't have a moral, 
ground to stand on? Like where, where are these morals coming from? That's my question. Well, (laughs) that's just it. That is just it. (laughs) We no longer have a moral foundation. I mean, I, Let's just be honest. Like we mm-hmm. are not operating as a country, not individually, but as a mm-hmm. country in America or in Canada. Yeah. Out of a moral foundation. Yeah. We're operating out of a world like our just I don't know, worldly I think, foundation, I guess. Yeah. And I think like this whole UBI situation they're saying the reason for it is because we want to lift people out of poverty. We want to decrease inequality. And I can guarantee you there's a host of other more very real reasons that they're just not saying out loud. But even if the problem, if the problem we were trying to fix was not enough income for people, we need to realize that the problem is much deeper than quote, not enough income. The problem is social and individual responsibility and lack Mm -hmm. thereof not for everybody. Like there's some people that, you know, they they have very real reasons that they're living in poverty and we need to have compassion and address that and try to help them. But at the very base of it, it's social, individual responsibility, it's morals. It's, it's like that article you quoted at the beginning. This is not just an economic issue. This is a sin issue. This is a fallen world we need to look toward the root cause and the UBI unfortunately does not address the root cause. Exactly. Exactly. And this may be going a step too far. You can tell me if this is mean, but I think it's the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, not to negate real poverty. There is mm-hmm. real poverty out there. Yes. But poverty in America anymore is one TV, not two or three. Uh, it's, it's not the same as poverty, you know, 50 to a hundred years ago, people in quote poverty now live differently. Mm -hmm. They pick and choose to afford certain things. And this is just one example, but I will never forget it. I was probably like 20 years old and at the grocery store in line and a man in front of me paid for his groceries with his link card or whatever it was at that time, which is the welfare card, and then whips out a $50 bill to buy his cigarettes. And that's just one – and I know that's like an addiction and that's one of the things that does keep people Mm -hmm. in poverty. But you think about this and you drive by government housing and a lot of times there's a dish hanging off that says dish network that's very expensive, Um, you know, people still get their nails done or, you know, they're, it's just different in America than it was. And, and that goes back to Cecily, the, um, the sin issue, you know, Mm -hmm. people just don't have the same moral foundation and will Mm -hmm. and drive to pursue. Um, I don't want to say what's right, but just the same overall will and drive. It's different. And I'm not saying there isn't real poverty, Mm -hmm. but when the government continues to provide in this way, it diminishes that drive and it robs people. It Mm -hmm. robs people of the opportunity to experience, you know, that, 
the beauty and the um, the soul filling. Right. I don't know how to describe it, but there is a soul fulfillment that comes from doing that work. I mean, it is yeah. biblical to want to work with your hands for the good of the Lord, right? Yeah. And yeah. when the government does this, they essentially swoop in as a savior for these people mm-hmm. and rob them. Yeah. Well, that's the problem with the the UBI. Like that like I I do think like you know, that example that you gave of the guy with the cigarettes, like that's a great example. And obviously that's not everybody. Like no. I'm going to say a word that people are going to be like, Ooh, that's, that's an, a progressive type word. And maybe it is when it's misused, but there are systemic issues. And I think the, the systemic issues that we need to be most concerned about that are keeping people in poverty are familial issues, like systemic family issues that have gone mm-hmm. on for generations. Like those, those sorts of things that are absolutely keeping people in poverty, keeping people depressed and miserable. And it just breaks my heart, those situations. Like I truly believe in that familial systemic issues. A UBI is not going to help that, unfortunately. Like it may be just a little bit of a Band-Aid and maybe it'll help one or two, you know, but for many others, it's actually going to drag them further down. And Mm -hmm. it's just, it's that root cause issue there's nothing yes. wrong with fixing a symptom when we can, as long as we're also looking to address the root cause. Like, I don't think it has to be one or the other. I think there is something to be said for helping people temporarily so that we can help them address the root cause while addressing the symptoms that are making it impossible for them to function. Does that make sense? Like, sometimes your your symptoms, the symptoms of a problem are so bad that you actually can't get to the root cause because you're too sick, right? So sometimes we do need to like put those two things together and be like, okay, let's address the symptoms so that we can have the energy to address the root cause. Like there are situations like that, but what the UBI does is it seeks to put a blanket over everything. And like you said, it takes away that meaningful work. It goes back to that Jordan Peterson quote. We don't just need money. We need function. We need purpose. And yeah, that's, that's, that's the root of it. Yeah, and I agree with you to your point of sometimes the symptoms are so bad you need mm-hmm. that. That's the emergency help that was talked right. about in those points. And yeah, you know, it just needs to be transferred back. That emergent that ability to give emergency help needs to be transferred back yeah. out of the federal government's hands because they are yeah. so far removed from the person that needs the help, they don't know Mm -hmm. what the problem is. They don't know. They're just giving the handout, you know, fill out this paper and get your, you know, get your help in, in Mm -hmm. it. It's so far down the line. They can't see the symptom presenting in that person. You know, you need help at the most basic Mm -hmm. level with somebody who can actually see you, you know, um, and since we both come from back. We both come from the medical world. Like a good example of this would be like, you have an emergency, you go to the emergency room, right? Maybe you have to get admitted to the medical floor for a period of time. Then after that, you're going to get discharged, but maybe you're going to have some home support for a little while. And then before you know it, you're completely independent again. Like it doesn't have to be just like, here's the emergency care for the rest of your life. And we're just going to hold you here in the emergency room against your will, essentially, right? There's these stages where you can actually work to gain back that independence and, and live a full life again. And I don't know that I just think that's a little medical um, illustration to talk about what we're meaning here. 
Yeah, exactly. If you want to continue on the medical front, it'd be like, mm-hmm. you know, somebody's like looking at your hemoglobin and hematocrit and seeing it's low mm-hmm. and like on the computer. They're looking at it on the computer, but they don't actually see you that you're bleeding significantly and where you're bleeding from. So they just keep ordering a blood transfusion every day and you keep getting Mm -hmm. transfused, but the hole never gets plugged. So you're continuing to bleed out because nobody's ever looked at you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. So guys, it seems like a simple bill. Like it seems like, wow, this bill's only four pages rather than a couple hundred, but the huge societal implications for it like they're they're just massive and so i hope that like as we talked through that it kind of made sense why we care about this so much yeah and i I just want to say one more thing that i just Mm -hmm. happen to think of you know for some of us it takes some willpower to you know turn away from this handout right Mm -hmm. um i was thinking just about the um I can't remember what they were called, if it was PPP loans or something, but the government gave loans in the in America um, mm-hmm. two different times to, if you owned a business or something, you could get these loans. Mm-hmm. And they actually called, went around calling people about these loans. My husband got phone calls about them asking if we wanted to sign up for one of these loans. And it was a significant amount of money. I can't remember how much we would have gotten, but I think it was like $25,000 or something. And we both Mm -hmm. said, no, it's not right. Like, and it was a loan that you knew you would never have to pay back a loan. And I was like, we're slave to the lender at that point. And you can look at that a different way. Like, well, we paid the government that money. We're just taking it back. And a couple loans of that, that would have been a lot. That would have been a lot of money for us. But sometimes you have to step up knowing that you're in the minority. You're probably one of the only people not doing this or not supporting this because it would just be easier to take this money that the government's going to give you, you know, Mm -hmm. because maybe it would benefit you. But ultimately, will that short-term benefit be worth the long-term issue that it is creating for the whole of society and for your children Mm. and everyone else very good questions to ask yourself for sure okay guys before we wrap up on a happier note cecily (laughs) and i are super excited we have hinted at this multiple times on here now um but it just takes some time to put things together especially when technology is so uh amazing that it's difficult (laughs) to work around. (laughs) So anyway, we are opening up the Boom Clap community. And so the website is theboomclapcommunity.com. We should have this up and running by the time you listen to this on Monday. It should be a full go. But give us a little grace. It might be Tuesday before you can hop on that website and get into the community just in case, you know, I have a glitch or something. But what this is going to be, we are kind of, I don't know, Cecily, do you want to jump in here? But we're kind of tired of social media. If you want to jump in, just jump in and cut me off. Yeah, we are getting very tired of social media. And our intention is not to leave it because it is a great place where we can interact with you guys. And also, you know, new people can find us, but really what we're wanting to do is create a way more intentional community where we kind of have this independence and a little bit of control, not over you guys, obviously, but control over 
what content we put out because truthfully, both of us, we get very, very slammed by Instagram censorship. And anytime Mm -hmm. we post anything regarding the podcast or topics that we're passionate about, our reach is massively cut. But I will tell you, if I post pictures of my kids or like a video of us up on the mountain with some music, Instagram loves it. It loves frivolous stuff. And not that it's frivolous. Like obviously my family is important to me and it's important to have fun, but it's just so interesting that as soon as we post something with a little more meat on it, Instagram hacks it right back. So Mm -hmm. we're just wanting a place where we have just a little bit more freedom to engage in the conversations with you guys that we actually want to engage in. And that's actually what's going to happen in this community is that we are going to be having actual conversations. So we're just going deeper. Rita, you want to talk about the Q and A and O and all of that? Yeah. And it's not just conversations with us. Like we want to Mm -hmm. allow you to be part of the conversation with us, to ask the questions that you want us to dive deeper into. Um, We're going to have what we call Q, A, and O sessions. And the O, Q and A, obviously (laughs) everyone knows what that is, but the O is opinion because a lot of what we talk about, we don't have the answers. We don't have all Mm -hmm. the answers, but we do have a lot of opinions. We have a lot of ideas (laughs) and it's good to just have discussions with, you know, people who think like us and people who don't. Um, Mm -hmm. Christians and non-Christians alike, we think the more people that we have that have a little bit of varying um, opinion, uh, the better, mm, you know, the, totally. the, the better uh, we will be able to um, communicate what we think because we've been mm-hmm. challenged, right? And so sure. that's what we want this to be. We're going to have QA and O sessions bi-monthly. So every other week, um, we'll have a link where you can log in and jump on live with us to um, mm-hmm. ask questions, or you can email us in advance if you're not going to be able to be on and then watch it later. Um, mm-hmm. And then the other thing we're going to do, which I know Cecily is probably m- almost most excited about this. Yes, um, I really am. <laughs> is, it's not, it's going to be a book, not a book club, but a book review sort of we're going to post Mm -hmm. up a book that we have both found to be very influential um or interesting and then Mm -hmm. be able to discuss that with us so that will be in addition to the qa and o sessions yeah i'm really pumped for that i think books obviously you guys know this about me like i love books i find them so valuable i think books open the world and i always say like if my kids can learn to read they're going to be just fine if they can learn to read well. Um, So I'm really excited to talk through some really great books with you guys. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be such a great experience. Yeah. Yeah. The last thing I want to mention is we offer this community at a price range. So when you go on, you'll see uh, very drastically varied prices in a range. And every single person that joins our community regardless of at the lowest the lowest um, monthly commitment or the highest, gets the same content. Um, mm-hmm. Why we did this is we just felt it was the right way to offer this community to everyone. Um, we put a lot of time and effort in here, and so we did want to offer this at a monthly charge, but we wanted everyone to be able to join. And we realized that this – couple years have been really hard on people. So we didn't want to um, put it at a value that 
somebody would think, well, I really want to join, but I can't afford that. So we made a really, really cheap price point. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's just we say what the lowest price point is. Okay. The lowest yeah. price point is $2. <laughs> like it's and so we will low. Make nothing, but yeah. <laughs> we don't want anyone not to join because That's of, right. because of a financial commitment that they don't feel that they're capable mm-hmm. of. Um, but <laughs> Let's just be honest. We are paying money to do this podcast, and yeah. <laughs> um, you know, We're putting a lot of time and effort into it. So, mm-hmm. um, anyway, the range is from twenty-five to two dollars, and. We're just happy to have anybody join, and we want everyone who wants to to be a part of it. Yeah, we can't wait. Really, we have been thinking about this for so long. Can't believe it's finally this close to happening. So can't wait. Yeah. It's just going to be a totally new way of interacting with you guys and one with much less control that's outside of our hands. Like I hate it. I hate that so much of the control is outside of our hands with all these other platforms. This is all going to be ours, our website, our streaming, our membership. Like no one can take that from us unless they come up with new ways to take things. <laughs> so <laughs> which could happen. Oh my. Yes. <laughs> All right, guys. Anyway. We we really are excited for this and uh, can't wait for you to see the website. So theboomclapcommunity.com. You can head over there now. Check it out. Um, if the links are not clickable yet on Monday, if you're listening right off the bat Monday, check back Tuesday morning. Okay? All right. Well, thanks for listening, you guys. If you want to find us outside of the podcast, you can find me on Instagram at cecily.dickey or on my website, thegracedegrow.com. All right. And you can find me, Rita, at ritarogersco.com or Rita Rogers Co. on Instagram. Thanks for listening. Bye.